Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and supplemented them with research into ancient Egyptian history. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. The following is a pair of ancient Egyptian proverbs. Know thyself deathless, and be able to know all things, all arts, sciences, the way of every life. Become higher than the highest height, and lower than the lowest depth. Amass in thyself all senses of animals, fire, water, dryness, and moistness. Think of thyself in all places at the same time earth, sea, sky, not yet born, in the womb, young, old, dead, and in the after-death state. Those who live today will die tomorrow. Those who die tomorrow will be born again. Those who live ma'at will not die. These people who lived so long ago, who ruled the Mediterranean for almost 30 centuries, struggled with the same questions that haunt us to this day. Their conception of life, death, and the universe was staggeringly complex. They believed in a sprawling pantheon of gods, a soul that had nine separate parts, and an afterlife with 12 distinct regions. And not even that was the end. Some texts reference a mysterious form of reincarnation in which part of the soul would be reborn into a new body. For the ancient Egyptians, death was truly only the beginning. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're completing our War of the Magicians. It's the final chapter from the tales of Prince Setna, the late Egyptian work of literature about the archaeologist Prince Setna Kamwas and his miraculous son. Join us for their most harrowing adventure yet, as the young Seo Cyrus battles an ancient sorcerer and Setna races against time to unlock a secret from the past. To save his son's life, he'll have to do something he swore he would never do again. Steal from the dead. Coming up, the final battle begins. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Sedna stood on the dais beside Pharaoh, watching as the massive doors were dragged shut. Priests worked pulleys to lower tapestry curtains, plunging the room into semi-darkness. They left a narrow slit at the bottom of each window so that a hundred beams of light bisected the alabaster floor. The nobles and advisors had all crowded to the sides of the hall, leaving a large empty space between them. Two figures stood at the center. At the far end was the Nubian sorcerer, a giant of a man with dark skin and darker eyes. His cloak woven with trinkets and chimes lay discarded on the floor behind him. He gripped his acacia staff tight and his lips curled into a cruel smile as he stared down the small figure across from him. Best make good with your gods, boy. You'll be meeting them soon. I have already seen the Duat once in this lifetime. I do not fear it. Say Osiris's slender frame looked tiny next to his gigantic opponent, but no one in that hall doubted the power he possessed. Since before he turned 12, priests and scribes from Memphis to Thebes had whispered about Pharaoh's grandson, the miraculous child magician. And Say Osiris was a child no longer. He stood with his back to Pharaoh's dais, his posture relaxed, his jaw clenched. In his right hand, he held a wasp scepter, a short cane with a curved jackal head at one end and a prong like a tuning fork at the other. Setna had commissioned the scepter for his son's birthday one year ago. He had never expected that Say Osiris would need it in such dire context. But then how could he ever have predicted any of this? that this mysterious stranger would appear out of the desert, bringing insults and a mysterious scroll. If his story was to be believed, this sorcerer was an enemy from Egypt's ancient past, and Setna's own son was a reincarnated magician who fought him 500 years ago. Setna couldn't believe it, but it didn't matter. There was nothing he could do now but pray. Ptah, Thoth. Bastet, Ra, look after my boy. Seo Cyrus took the first step forward, tapping the pronged end of his scepter against the floor as he circled his opponent. The Nubian sorcerer watched him wolfishly, then lifted his staff. Know thee the viper, he that crawls beneath the desert sun, foot striking, venom spitting, Life ending. 
As the sorcerer spoke his incantation, the fingers of his left hand twisted and curled in a rapid flurry of signs. There was a great crack and the smell of sulfur filled the hall. Then something sprang from the sorcerer's staff. It landed on the floor between him and Seosiris. It was a snake, a horned viper about the size of a tree branch, and as it slithered toward Seosiris, it began to grow. The nobles shrank back, pressing up against the walls in their eagerness to get away from the serpent. By the time it reached Seosiris, it was so large, it encircled him twice easily. It lifted its great head to tower over him, flicking its forked tongue hungrily. Say. Every atom of Setna's being screamed for him to rush to Seosiris's aid, but at that moment, Pharaoh reached over and touched him on the shoulder. Setna's surprise at the gesture made him pause just long enough to gather his resolve again. He could not interfere. This was his son's fight. Seosiris looked up at the coiling serpent. He raised his scepter, calmly pointing the curved end at the snake's nose. I know the worm. Leaf-eating. Soil-nurturing. Setna wasn't sure if he blinked, but in a flash, the snake was gone. Seosiris stretched out his left hand toward the sorcerer. He opened it to reveal a small, white earthworm wriggling on his palm. Seosiris strode to the nearest window and tossed the worm through the opening. The sorcerer's eyes followed him back to the center of the chamber, and his fingers began to sign again. Know thee the darkness, sky shrouding, crops choking, fear spreading. This time, tendrils of dark smoke spilled out of the sorcerer's staff. It spread over the hall in a great wave, enveloping everything it touched in inky darkness. The watching nobles scrambled over one another in a desperate attempt to escape the black cloud, but Seosiris simply raised his hand. I know the dark clay that runs beside the Nile. The children of our land gather it in their hands and shape it into playthings. Sedna watched in awe as the smoke encircled Seosiris. It seemed to gather around his hand, shrinking and pulling in on itself, until Seosiris's fingers closed around it. Seosiris held up the newly formed object for all to see. He had gathered the darkness into a simple ball. He bounced it twice on the floor, then caught it again and tossed it casually through the open window. The sorcerer's eyes flashed with fury for only a moment. Then he forced a smile. Well done, my old friend. I wondered if you still remembered your skills. Hori, son of Panesh. At the sound of the name, Sedna saw a strange look cross Seosiris' face. He looked shaken, but the moment passed and his jaw tightened. I remember plenty. 
that we have faced each other here once before, for instance, even though your king swore he would never again raise a hand against Egypt. My king did not intend to keep his word, hoary son of Panesh. When he returned to Nubia, he was furious with me. He blamed me for inciting the wrath of Pharaoh's magicians and causing his suffering, you see. But I begged him for another chance to prove myself. I would go up into Egypt and face Pharaoh's magician myself. And he allowed it. He did, but not without punishing me first. Before I left, he gathered his sorcerers, many of whom had been my own acolytes. He had them place a curse on me so that if I failed to bring Pharaoh to his knees, I would wander the desert for 500 years, without walls that guard against the wind or the biting gnats, without even the release of death. So that is why you have returned, to put an end to this curse. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You do not understand it at all. My sentence is over. I have returned for one reason and one reason alone. When you beat me the first time, you condemned me to five lifetimes of suffering. So you have come to take revenge on Egypt? Again, you missed the point. Nubia has not been my home for five centuries. Do you think my mind was on Pharaoh as I wandered those endless sands? I have returned to take my revenge on you, haughty son of Panesh. The sorcerer's fingers began to sign once more. This time, Sedna saw Seosiris plant his feet and raise his scepter, preparing for the attack. But as he formed the last sign, the sorcerer raised his staff and pointed it, not at Seosiris, but at Sedna himself. You took everything from me, and I will take everything from you, starting with that which you cherish most. Mandulis, Apatamak, Miet, Amen. No! Father, move! Bright light exploded from the palm of the sorcerer's outstretched hand. Setna realized too late that the blast was directed straight at him. He shielded himself with his arms as the light flooded around him. The roar that accompanied it grew so loud it drowned out all other sound. His final thought was a prayer, but not for Seosiris. Somehow he felt certain that his son would be all right. This time, he prayed for himself. Lord Osiris, God of death, prepare your hall for one more soul. I'll be there soon. Coming up, the dead rise. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from Parcast. When you think of a criminal, do you picture a killer, a gangster, a thief? I bet you didn't think it could be the little old lady down the street who murdered her tenants. Every Wednesday on my series, Female Criminals, meet the unlikeliest of felons, mothers, neighbors, and unsuspecting lovers with a penchant for dangerous behavior. Discover the psychology and motives behind their disturbing crimes and find out where their story stands today. But that's not all. 
Airing right now on Female Criminals is our special five-part look at the world's most infamous femme fatales, women who were deceptive and deadly, but not always the villain. Catch these episodes and more by following the Spotify original from Parcast, Female Criminals. New episodes premiere weekly. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. Setna slowly opened his eyes, blinking through the fading light. It took him a moment to realize where he was, for the scene before him was one of the strangest that he had ever witnessed. He was still in the great hall beside Pharaoh's throne. His son, Seosiris, was less than an arm's length away, kneeling over something. The spectating nobles were inching closer to the dais, each one craning their necks for a better view. The Nubian sorcerer paced impatiently at the center of the chamber, never taking his eyes off Seosiris. Shall I take this as your surrender? Give me a moment! Setna leaned forward to see the thing laid out before Seosiris. It was his own body, lying stiff and immobile on the dais. As Setna watched, a shimmering, translucent version of himself rose out of it. This was his ka, a part of his soul encapsulating his life essence. Most men would have trembled at such a sight, but Sedna had seen his ka once before when he traveled to the land of the dead with Seosiris. So when he looked down at himself, he already guessed what he would find. Sure enough, he had the torso, wings, and talons of a golden feathered hawk. This was his ba, another piece of his soul that was capable of traveling between Earth and the underworld. No one else in the room seemed to have noticed Setna's ba or ka. A sudden thought struck him, and he turned slowly to face the throne. Pharaoh was staring down at Setna's limp body, his face as impassive as ever. But as Setna watched, he saw a single tear run down the ruler's cheek. Father! Setna turned back around to find that Seosiris was now looking up at him rather than down at his physical body. His lips did not move, but Setna heard his voice inside his head. Father, listen, we don't have much time. I managed to block the sorcerer's attack and have separated your soul from your body. You mean I'm not dead? No, but I need him to think you are so he doesn't try to stop you. I need your help. Of course. Anything. More is something I need you to find. It's the one thing I can't seem to remember. I thought I'd find it on that scroll, but it wasn't there. It was stupid of me to come here without it. What? His name. He knows mine, and it gives him power over me. I need his to even the playing field. And I know where you can find it. There is another account of the Nubian War in the tomb of Pharaoh Siamen. I put it there myself when we buried him. Siamen? His tomb is at Saqqara, almost a day's ride from here. Then it's a good thing you've got wings. Right. And you're all right until I get back? I'll be fine. But if you could please hurry. 
Setna launched himself off the dais and toward the window. He gave one final glance over his shoulder and saw Seosiris and the sorcerer squaring off at the center of the hall. And then he shot out into the skies of Memphis. Years had passed since his last experience in Ba form, but Setna was surprised to find that he still remembered how to fly. He beat his powerful wings, climbing higher and higher into the sky. The noon sun blazed above him, and within minutes, his brow was beaded in sweat. Still, he did not slow for even a second. He pressed onward, riding wind currents when he could and fighting them when he had to, heading ever westward. Soon, he began to lose sight of the Nile. Far below, crocodiles loafed on the bank, basking in the hot sun. Giant hippopotami grazed on water reeds, snapping aggressively at one another with their massive jaws. A flock of ibis stood in the water, preening their feathers and keeping a cautious eye on the larger animals. One of the waterfowl spotted Setna and seemed to grow curious. It flew up and soared alongside him for a time, but his relentless pace soon proved too much for the bird, and it eventually drifted back to its family. And then all signs of life fell away, and there was nothing but vast desert as far as the eye could see. Still, Setna pressed on. He did not know if Ba had muscles, but whatever he had in place of them begged for mercy. If he had lungs, they screamed for air, and whatever heartbeat in his chest felt close to exploding. A chance look south only served to heighten his anxiety. A dark orange cloud was gathering on the distant horizon. It was a sandstorm as large as any Setna had ever seen, and dead on course for Memphis. By the looks of things, it would be there within the hour. Setna didn't even want to think about navigating those winds, so he turned away from the storm to face west again. And then, at last, he saw it. A cluster of tombs and step pyramids rose up out of the desert, almost indistinguishable from the drab landscape. This was the great necropolis of Saqqara, the city of the dead, final resting place of Egypt's first kings. Setna made for a large pyramid at the edge of the necropolis, larger than most of the others. This was the funerary complex of Pharaoh Siamen. The question of how to enter the tomb without tools had been bothering him for much of the journey, but as he circled the pyramid, he was surprised to see a small opening at its base. He swooped down and discovered that an entryway had already been smashed in. This may be the first time I'm thankful for grave robbers, so long as they didn't take the book. Setna flew into the pyramid, moving from scorching day into inky darkness. The few shafts of light that slipped through revealed an enormous antechamber, piled high with the dead pharaoh's belongings. 
there were towering statues, weapons, tapestries, an entire ship, and dozens upon dozens of sarcophagi. Each one held the mummy of a priest, pet, or servant who had served the pharaoh in life. Setna flew over it all, heading for an archway on the far side of the room. This led into a maze of smaller chambers with endless branching paths and doorways. He wove through the dark maze, guided by the hieroglyphs, until he reached the final room. The golden sarcophagus of Pharaoh Siamen stood against the far wall, partially illuminated by a beam of light. Its painted eyes almost seemed to follow Setna as he swooped in and alighted on a small altar. It was stacked high with reams of papyrus, but Setna's eyes immediately fell on a large, leather-bound volume at the center. Siamen's Book of the Dead. The knowledge in here is worth more than the entire library of Thebes. Perhaps I'll come back for it one day. Setna set the book aside and began to sift through the other aged writings. He was so focused on his task that he did not notice the glowing tendrils of mist rising around him. No, no. The War of the Magicians. This is it. This is mine. Setna spun around, coming face to face with another Ka. The spirit towered over him, staring with eyes of burning blue flame. One half of the ghost's face appeared horribly rotted, as if it had slowly decayed along with his physical body, but the other half was smooth and unblemished, and as Setna suddenly realized, unnervingly similar to the golden face of the sarcophagus in the corner. The double crown on the ghost's brow confirmed his guess. This was not just any ghost. This was a king. Pharaoh Siamen! Who dares enter the house of the dead? I... I am Setna Kamwas, son of Pharaoh, high priest of Ptah. I have not entered this tomb for gold, but for knowledge. I ask you to let me pass unharmed so that I may save my son's life. Give me the book. I regret I cannot. Then you will die. The ghost of Siamen raised his hands, and suddenly the room was teeming with ghosts. They rose from the floors and flew through the walls, howling with mad laughter. Sedna saw priests in animal head masks, soldiers with rotting faces, even a number of partially mummified cats. A translucent baboon with one eye leapt on the altar and shrieked in his face, bearing massive, glistening canines. Sedna stumbled back, suddenly feeling very out of his element. Normally at this point he would invoke the protection of the gods by cutting his palm and squeezing a drop of blood into the sand, but he did not have a knife, or hands, or blood in his veins, and the ghosts were pressing closer. Please! My son needs the information in these pages! You knew him once as your chief magician Hori. 
He fought to defend you from the sorcerers of Nubia. Will you repay that favor now? Setna blinked. One moment, the spirit of Siaman had been towering over him, and the next, he and all his ghosts had vanished. Sedna breathed a sigh of relief. <sighs> Thank the gods. Oh, no. A low rumble filled the chamber. First the floor began to tremble, then the walls and ceiling, and then the whole room was shaking violently. Fear gripped Setna as Pharaoh Siamin's disembodied laugh echoed around him. <laughs> By Ptah, he's going to bring the whole place down to stop me leaving. There was no time to think. Setna's talons closed around the scroll, and he launched into the air. He barreled through the maze of smaller rooms, taking the sharp turns and twisting passages at speed, until he emerged into the antechamber. Here, he could finally see just how much the tomb had already changed. The ceiling was plunging lower by the second, sound pouring through the widening cracks. Every few moments, another giant square slab would break off and come tumbling down to crush a pile of treasure or sarcophagus. The pyramid was coming apart at the seams. Setna wove through the chaos, dodging stones and crumbling pillars. Finally, he saw the entrance. The small archway looked like it was moments from collapsing. No! He shot forward, beating his wings for all he was worth. An instant later, he flew through the archway into open daylight and crashed headfirst into the sand. <coughs> And not a moment too soon, Setna watched, awestruck, as the once great pyramid came crashing down. Within minutes, it was little more than a pile of broken stone, barely distinguishable from the rest of the desert. Setna's attention had already returned to the object in his talons. He carefully unfurled the scroll, lay it out on the ground, and began to read. He was barely a sentence in before the sand in front of him started to move. Setna snatched up the scroll and hopped back as the towering ghost of Pharaoh Siamen rose from the earth. Setna. You really don't quit. Where is my magician? Coming up, the War of the Magicians reaches its epic conclusion. Now back to the story. The city of Memphis stood resolute over the Nile, just as it had for some 2,000 years. The people of Egypt belonged to those sun-baked streets, just as they belonged to the river. But to any who walked them at any moment, they might as well have been stepping into an alien landscape. 
A great sandstorm had risen up from the south, blanketing the city in orange dust. Gale force winds pelted the buildings, ripping flags from their masts and toppling the flimsier structures. The sun flickered weakly overhead, barely visible through the thick film of sand and dust. And in Pharaoh's palace, a battle raged. Apodomac! Sakar! Sabiameeker! Nath! Seosiris and the Nubian sorcerer danced through the center of the Great Hall, hurling and deflecting one spell after another. The fight had gone on so long that most of the nobles had resorted to sitting on the floor. Both of the combatants were drenched in sweat, but neither seemed close to surrender. As they each screamed yet another incantation, a blast of purple smoke rocketed out of the Nubian sorcerer's staff and struck Seosiris in the shoulder. In the same moment, an arrow of light hit the Nubian sorcerer in the leg. They both stumbled back, breathing heavily and glaring daggers at one another. <sighs> Give it up, boy. I have studied for five centuries while you rested in the netherworld. Do you really think you stand a chance? Please. While your mind wasted in the desert, I traveled the cosmos. I have ridden the solar barge of Ra through light and darkness. I have stood beside Osiris and Anubis and have seen such wonders as you can never imagine. You should have never left Osiris's hall. You can ride back to him with your beloved Setna Kamwas. How dare you speak my father's name? Kepri! Sirket. <laughs> your father is dead. May his soul find oblivion in the jaws of the devourer. He is not gone. Not really. I carry his lessons with me always. <sighs> he taught me to be curious. He taught me not to fear the dead. He taught me to trust the gods, but to trust my own heart and mind too. To seek answers, even if the questions led me into the darkest tombs. He showed me that there are no doors that cannot be opened, no secrets that can't be learned, that there is no force in heaven, earth, or the netherworld more powerful than the truth. He taught me everything. Well, he has given you his last lesson. You are wrong again. He has one more thing to teach me. Your name. A look of surprised fury passed over the sorcerer's face. He raised his acacia staff high, but before he could utter a single syllable, the Ba of Setna came hurtling in through the open window. He shot across the hall and dove into his own body, which instantly sat up. His name is Kar! No! <laughs> That's right. Kar, son of Tanasset. I'd forgotten. It doesn't matter if you know my name. I know yours. Hori, son of Panesh, and I am your better. Shu Sutek Amen Baal. The Nubian sorcerer shouted his incantation and raised his staff high. Setna didn't have time to react, but he didn't need to. 
At that moment, an army of ghosts exploded through the walls of the Great Hall. They surged around the sorcerer, seizing his limbs and staff. His face twisted into a mask of sheer terror as a shimmering giant rose up out of the floor. You like for like. It was the ghost of Pharaoh Siamen. He surged toward the sorcerer and wrapped him in a bear hug, while the one-eyed baboon clawed at his face. At the other end of the hall, Seo Cyrus calmly lifted his scepter to point at the ceiling. Thoth, Horus, Bastet, Anubis, Set, Isis, Osiris, Ra, gods of Egypt, hear my prayer. I am Seo Cyrus, son of Setna Kamwas, grandson of Pharaoh. I call upon you to strike this sorcerer from the earth so that his evil may never again trouble the land of Egypt. At the final word, Seo Cyrus swung his scepter down to point it at the sorcerer. There was a sudden roar like a great wind and a flash of blinding light. Setna shielded his face against it. Through the gaps in his fingers, he saw the ghosts fade away. At the same time, the Nubian sorcerer's flesh began to come apart before his eyes, tearing into shreds and floating upwards like confetti in the wind. Soon, all that was left was his staring, onyx black eyes and his ivory-toothed mouth, twisted into a grimace of agony. And then they too were gone. Sedna felt his own limbs go slack. He hadn't realized how tired he'd been, but he had done his job. He had kept Seo Cyrus safe. It was over. He let the warm light wash over him and carry him away. Father, we're here. Setna opened his eyes and took in his new surroundings. He was standing with Seo Cyrus on the bank of an ink-black river under an even darker sky. Turning to look down the river, Setna saw the glowing solar barge of Ra approaching. He recognized the animal-headed gods on the deck, Bastet, Anubis, Set all his old friends from their last visit. They were back in the Duat, the land of the dead. Before Setna could say anything, he heard a distant, agonized scream, followed by a horrible tearing sound. It seemed to echo across a great distance, as if part of the sky itself. Then, just as suddenly as it had begun, it was gone. What was that? The screams of the Nubian sorcerer being fed to Amet, the devourer of souls. There were envoys of Osiris waiting for him here when I arrived. The gods did not want to risk his escape, it seems. Then we are dead. It doesn't matter. You are incredible, Say. I knew you could beat him. I couldn't have done it without you. Thank you for his name and for everything. 
As the father and son embraced, Setna heard Ra's barge bump up against the shore. A plank was lowered from the deck to dry land. He looked up to see the cat-headed goddess Bastet staring down at him with an impatient expression. I think they're waiting for us. <sighs> at least we get to take this journey together. Oh. What is it? I'm sorry, but it is not your time yet, father. I brought you here to say goodbye. Say, no. I did what Osiris sent me here to do. You don't need me anymore. That's not true. May Ma'at keep you always, father. Until we meet again. Say Osiris gave his father a final hug, then pulled away and turned toward the barge. He strode confidently toward it and climbed the plank to join the waiting gods. Setna wanted to call out to demand that the gods release his child, but he knew it would be useless. This was Say Osiris's journey, one that he could not be a part of. So he stood on the bank with tears streaming down his face and watched. Say Osiris ran to the railing as the plank was raised and the barge pushed off from the bank. He waved to Setna, a broad smile on his face. Soon, both the barge and Say Osiris were no more than a tiny dot on the dark horizon. Setna fell to his knees and covered his face with his hands. When he opened his eyes again, the barge, the river, and the duat were gone. Setna was back in the great hall once more. The acacia staff lay beside a pile of ash where the Nubian sorcerer had once stood. But where Say Osiris had been, there was nothing. Setna felt a hand on his shoulder and looked up. Pharaoh's tear-streaked face stared back at him, his normally stern expression a mask of grief. Father, he's gone. Pharaoh helped Setna to his feet. The men embraced, weeping openly in each other's arms. The nobles and advisors watched, silent in their shared grief. And then, slowly, they began to talk of the wondrous things that they had all witnessed, and of Say Osiris, the greatest magician in all of Egypt. Meanwhile, outside Pharaoh's palace, a white ibis soared through a clear sky. The storm had moved on. This is the end of the tales of Prince Setna. Almost. According to an early text, Setna's wife became pregnant soon after the battle between Say Osiris and the Nubian sorcerer. Nine months later, she gave birth to a son who they named Usur Mont Hor, or Hori for short. There's no record of the historical Ka'emwaset having a son named Say Osiris, although that wouldn't be surprising if he died at a young age. But Ka'emwaset did have a real son named Hori. He was a gifted scholar in his own right and eventually followed in his father's footsteps to become the high priest of Ptah. 
The text leaves the connection between Seosiris and the second Hori ambiguous, though his name and the fact that he was conceived immediately after Seosiris's disappearance might suggest a second reincarnation. Or perhaps Osiris changed his mind and allowed Seosiris to return to Earth again. Or perhaps not. What the story does say is that Prince Setna never stopped making offerings to the first Hori, the magician from 500 years ago. Of course, Setna was not just a priest, he was also an archaeologist, and a stubbornly curious one at that. I imagine that he would have hunted down every scrap of information he could about his son's previous life. Perhaps he even found the first Hori's tomb. This is it. Watch your head, son. Stand there by the statue of Horus. Now, like I taught you. I'm ready, father. Thoth. Horus. Bastet. Anubis. Set. Isis. Osiris. Ra. Gods of Egypt, hear our prayer. I am Setnakamwas, son of Pharaoh, high priest of Ptah. And I am Usur Monthor, grandson of Pharaoh, son of Prince Setna. We enter the tomb of Hori, son of Panesh, chief magician of Pharaoh Siamen, not for gold, but for knowledge. Let us pass unharmed that we might read from the Book of the Dead. And may Ma'at keep us. And may Ma'at keep us. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new adventure. For more information on the tales of Prince Sedna, amongst the many sources we used, we found Miriam Lichtstein's Ancient Egyptian Literature, a book of readings, to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back next week with another epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythology was written by Andrew Kelleher, with writing assistance by Greg Castro, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Kai Jordan, and Julian Smith. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 